Welcome to My Collaborative Team's Collaborate Live. Collaborate Live provides digestible, pardon the pun, content to both professionals and the public on a variety of topics relating to the collaborative process. Our Collaborate Live episodes consist of a variety of topics driven by our followers and by our members. Topics ranging from ethical considerations, best practices, problem solving, marketing, specialized topics relating to collaborative practice itself, practice tools, and more. Whether you join us live or you're watching on your own free time, you can count on our weekly Collaborate Lives to provide you with thought-provoking conversation and educational information about the collaborative process. I am pleased today to welcome Neil Kozak, who has over 30 years of experience representing clients throughout New York State. He collaborates on family law matters involving complex distributions of property, spousal and child support, custody, or as we call it down here in Florida, time sharing and parenting plans, domestic violence and real estate. Mr. Kozak is a fellow of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, the International Academy of Family Lawyers and the American Bar Foundation. In New York, he's the founder of the collaborative divorce practice movement in that metropolitan area. He was instrumental in founding the Association of Collaborative Lawyers of Rockland Westchester Counties and the New York Association of Collaborative Professionals and is the past president. He formerly served on the board of trustees for IACP, the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, and has been teaching collaborative skills and professionally lecturing on the topic since 2001, almost 20 years. Welcome, Neil. Thank you for agreeing to be our guest today. Um, Thank you. We had a little chat um, before we went to record, and I know that you can speak for hours on the subject, but it's a short lunch hour. And I think uh, what we'd like to focus on is your wisdom and experience about getting clients that come to you to go collaborative as opposed to litigating. How do you do that? So it's not a matter of, of um, doing something differently than I've always done. And I think that we should all approach it from our own perspectives based on our own experiences and how we do it with all of our clients, whether they're coming in for litigation or for mediation or for collaboration or not knowing what they're coming in for at all. So what I do is what most of us do. We educate clients typically either on the phone or in an initial consultation. Today, the initial consultations can take place via Zoom, Microsoft Teams, in person, uh, there's, a, there's a variety of ways to speak to clients now. But we always educate our clients about all the different process choices, as well as all of the different substantive law issues that would affect them in a separation, divorce, or other issue that they're coming in for consultation for. Um, one of the big uh, complaints that you hear from, from collaborative practitioners around the country, and frankly, around the world, is that there aren't enough collaborative cases. The truth is there are plenty of collaborative cases because they're not collaborative cases, they're cases. Um, and collaborative process, whether it's you know the lawyer only model, the two coach method, the one coach method, whether they're operating in teams isn't appropriate for every couple, every family but it's not the decision of the lawyer to make for the client. The client has to understand what the options are and help you to decide whether or not a case is collaborative. 
So people say, how do I sell it? Well, it's not a sales pitch. It's an educational uh, endeavor. How do I convert a case from some other model to collaborative? Well, I think it's the same principle of educating a client. So let's talk about what we say and how we say it. Those are two different things. Mm. So if you're a collaborative practitioner who's had no experience in doing a collaborative case, at the first sign of question or challenge by a client, what do you mean I have to give up my attorney and start over with a new lawyer? That's, that's a common refrain when people hear that there's a disqualification clause, which is the one item that separates collaborative practice from any other model. Mm-hmm. And I don't consider collaborative practice with a small c collaborative, by the way, if there's no um, participation agreement with a disqualification clause, as far as I'm concerned, it's not a collaborative process. Um, so some people will throw their hands up in the air and say, oh, don't worry about it. You don't have to do it that way. We can just try and settle the case out of court. Collaboratively. Hmm. A- a collaboratively. Um, and then there are people that uh, are consulted and uh, they're litigators and the client will say, or the prospective client will say, do you do collaborative law? Oh, I collaborate all my cases. I'm very right collaborative. To, right, right oh, I know, I know, I know Neil Kozak. We've collaborated all the time. We've settled all of our cases. And a client doesn't know what that means, hmm. but it's sort of a misrepresentation of a process. That doesn't mean that uh, the case isn't going to be settled. It doesn't mean that you're not going to take that client on just because it's not a capital C collaborative process. But all of these factors enter into why cases aren't done collaboratively, because there are lawyers that don't understand it. The clients don't necessarily understand it. Some people will ask me, what's the benefit? And I remember years ago when I did one of my first trainings, it was explained that the lawyers are kept honest by signing the participation agreement. Then they don't have any incentive to, uh, to drag things out or to threaten court, or to go to court, or to make things more difficult. And I guess to to some extent that is true. That doesn't mean there aren't people that do collaborative cases that get dragged out, or that are unreasonable, or people behave badly. Because like any other process, it isn't perfect. So so when you do this educational piece, and you hit on something that I'm most curious about, we have down here in South Florida, this new generation of collaboratively trained professionals who have maybe served as a scribe or a recorder in a case. They've seen the training. Um, they're gung-ho on collaborative. How do they educate with, it's like, pardon me, teaching sex without uh, having had the experience. I think that they can discuss um, the mechanisms for collaborating uh, that, are, that are different than traditional negotiation. One of the things that I routinely talk about is the difference between positional bargaining and interest-based negotiating, which is a premise that a lot of mediation students have learned over the years. I remember when we started practicing, Jerry, back in the 1980s, mediation was just coming around mm-hmm. and all the litigators made fun of mediation because the agreements were sloppy and we saw the mistakes and then we litigators had to correct those mistakes. So they looked down on mediators, 
mediation has taken a turn that has been incredibly um, um, heralded for its for its benefits to the society. It's Actually, been, mandatory in some states before you go to court. Mm -hmm. We have to we have to educate our clients about it. We tell them what the benefits are. Um, it, again, mediation isn't for everybody, just like collaboration isn't for everybody. And litigation is only for a very, very small subset. Unfortunately, people that are embroiled in acrimonious relationships and difficult breakups are clouded by an emotional... Um, um, blinders. 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 Mm -hmm. And they can't sometimes see behind. I mean, and there's a neurological and a psychological reason for that. When you're when you're activated as such in any kind of um, you know difficult situation or traumatic situation, we create a hormone that blocks our frontal cortex and prevents us from being able to actually rationally or think. See, right. Right. And you you lose that ability to be rational. And and some lawyers traditionally have fed into that. Don't worry, we'll protect you. And now you have your gladiator, the legal fees skyrocket, the acrimony continues, it becomes worse. We positionally bargain. So that for those that don't know what that is, a positional bargain is when you take extreme positions with the hope of resolving the case somewhere in the middle. But what that does is it requires people to take very extreme positions. And along with that, people then become much more um, adversarial and adversarial positions they're adversarial it affects the children because if there are children if uh parents aren't getting along and quarreling it's not going to be as as peaceful a matter uh, a process and um then you have interest-based negotiation which is where you talk about things at a much deeper level why is it important for you to have the house why is it important for you to make decisions for your children or why is it important for you to have um four nights a week versus three nights a week. Let's talk about that. You go down beneath the stated uh, positions and you talk about the interests and concerns of parties. So, um, Neil, if I, if I can, uh, part of what I hear you saying is uh, you've got a good. <laughs> Very good. I saw what you just did. Um, is, is that you've had this wealth of experience and a wealth of exposure to training and you're committed to educating clients as opposed to put, putting them in some sort of procrustean um, bed of uh, we, we only do it this way. And, and I'm thinking that there are some folks who's who have turned their practice into non-litigation um, who are likely more likely to provide an explanation as opposed to a case comes in the door, I need to feed my family, I'll give them the education, but I'll go with what the client wants, which goes back to my question of perhaps not how do you sell it, but how do you help a client? Because you've made some assessment as to what would be work best in the chemistry that you have with this client in that first meeting. You've honed that skill. How do you convey that to the client after educating them? So I, I, I do exactly what I just told you. I educate them, but then I tell them how they can have that discussion with their spouse, because it takes two to, to participate in this process. So if only one of them is convinced that it's an opportunity for them that they should jump on, unless the other side is willing to participate, you're not going to get a collaborative case. So they need the tools to be able to discuss it intelligently with their spouse. So I'll give them some brochures. I will turn them uh, onto a website or two where they can read about it. They can even read about it on my website. Um, 
and I give them um, some, some help in how to actually talk to their spouse about it. This is why it's important. And you know, for some people, it's a very easy sell because it fits right in with their persona. Mm. And this is, uh, they both agree that they want to resolve it. They both agree that there are issues and they don't want to make things worse. They want to do it without going to court. They want to do it on a budget. They want to do it where they're in control and they don't want to do it where somebody is telling them what has to be done. They may have seen horrible litigation stories or heard horrible litigation stories from friends. That's common. And so they can have that conversation much easier. It's the case where the other lawyer has already been to a litigator Mm. who doesn't do collaboration that poses a more difficult uh, problem for for putting them into the collaborative process. That doesn't mean it's impossible, by the way. Um, One of the things we've done down here on a couple of occasions and and a couple of cases was there where there has been a non-trained, if you will, lawyer is to approach that lawyer and say, look, we can uh, do this collaboratively. We'll get you a mentor. Someone from the practice group will kind of act pro bono as your coach. Doesn't cost the clients anything else because of the commitment to collaborative. And on a couple of occasions, uh, we've been successful in that regard. Uh, But I'm curious, how large or how big in in your county in Westchester, um, White Plains area is collaborative? Is that something that is well known in the community or are you still struggling to get the word out? No, it's, it's, it's quite well known actually. And I'm gonna say a few words about how it got well known because I think that adds to the ability to um, add to your roster of collaborative cases. Um, is your question more about uh, Westchester County and the amount no, of- the, the answer you were about to give is the answer to the question I asked about how you go about promoting collaborative, generally speaking. Right. So it's been promoted by me and by many others over the last 20 years, um, in my opinion, very effectively. One of the early mistakes that collaborative groups make is let's do advertising. Advertising doesn't work because what you do is you put an ad in the newspaper or a spot on the radio, or you do something on TV. It's extremely expensive. It's a one-time shot and then it's done. Whereas you can go on a speaking circuit. I've been to many organizations, bar associations, women's bar, black bar, Asian bar, the Brandeis Society, um, Westchester County bar, New York State bar, ABA. There have been programs throughout the entire country on collaborative practice for many years. I don't know if you're familiar with the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. Yes. Mm -hmm. But um, so the AAML for many years was largely populated and still is by litigators around the country who do litigation and did not do mediation or alternate dispute resolution. And it wasn't really a part of their practice. I will tell you, they do now have a negotiation seminar. They have a negotiation committee. They have arbitration trainings, they have mediation uh, committees. I'm the co-chair of the AAML's Collaborative Law Committee. So they are absolutely recognized. In fact, um, we're doing um, an evening presentation in September um, on proliferating one's collaborative uh, practice, um, teaching some of the basics. It's almost a back to basics. 
for beginners, intermediates, and experienced practitioners. Is and then this in, open to the public or only it, to the AAML? It's, we'll see how many people actually, the reason I'm saying it isn't to promote the, the program, it's to Happy let to you help know you. That, it's, that it is it is being discussed oh. in a lot of places. And there's gonna be an actual three-day training in June put on by the AAML. And that will be, I think they're gonna try and open it first to the AAML members and their, and their associates. And we're going to try and limit it to 50 people. But my guess is if we're able to get a lot more interest, um, we'll allow more people. And well, consider, be... consider you've got one more interested non-lawyer right here. Well, thank and, you, Jerry. And, and, um, and I'm sorry, I'm getting um, notes um, that you can't see from Eric telling <laughs> us our time is up. Oh, my um, goodness. And, and I'm devastated by that because I know that you can talk for a lot longer and I want to listen to what you have to say for a lot longer. So I'm going to invite you to come back to Neil Kozak Part 2, Promoting Collaborative. Because I think that you've hit upon something um, that that most practice groups um, haven't yet had the experience of learning, which is the investment in one-shot advertising doesn't work. That what you're talking about is literally spreading the word. We have a fellow in, in South Florida who's taken every member of the practice group, of which numbers about 90, to lunch one at a time. Wow. And, converted them a lot of lunches so he does a lot of cycling but you've been a fantastic guest thank you and i'm sure that you'll accept a second invitation to come back so i think eric is going to stop recording after i say the following um if you'd like to be a guest please let us know um you can email info at my collaborative team or reach out to us on social media thank you for listening thank you neil kozak for being a great guest 